Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Eric Klein. I'm here with Jennifer Waits. Hi, everybody. And today we are talking about radio art again. What a good day to talk about radio art, transmission arts, the art that is created for the radio by people who love radio. And we're also going to be talking about a very special broadcast, a global broadcast that I think is best described as a 24-hour dawn chorus, the sound of the sunrise around the world being broadcast around the world. Joining us today to talk about all of this is Galen Joseph Hunter, executive director of the radio, the radio station, the radio, the special radio place. Uh, <laughs> what is Wave Farm, Galen? Galen Joseph Hunter. Hello, um, Wave Farm is an arts organization that is dedicated to transmission art, including experimentation with the radio spectrum um, in all of its various forms, um, and we also do some kind of regular conventional radio on on the FM and AM dials. Right. It's it, it, it's embarrassing that I tripped up and called you a radio station, but it's not completely inaccurate. Not inaccurate at all. Not embarrassing well, and either. And I think it's a bit hard for people to get their head around Wave Farm. I was really excited to get to visit. I feel like I have a much better understanding of all the amazing things that Wave Farm does after visiting two of your locations. And and I think ahead of time, I was, I was in in awe and wonder, but slightly confused. <laughs> it really is a radio wonderland. <laughs> it is, which is also a name of a program by Joshua Freed that airs at ten thirties <laughs> on the Eastern um, Time Zone on our radio station. Wow, that makes sense. It's all connected. <laughs> so, so Galen. A part of the reason that we wanted to talk to you is I know Wave Farm was involved with Reve, this amazing dawn chorus, as Eric was describing it. Could you tell us a bit about what Reve is? Sure. Um, so Reve is a 24, although I think sometimes it goes to 25-hour um, global celebration of the sounds of dawn. Um, and it's organized by a group out of uh, the UK called Sound Camp, and Grant Smith and Maria Papadomaliki, and Maria, I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing your name, and I shouldn't, um, are the two individuals that I think pull the all-nighters um, year after year. Um, but it starts in, where does it start? It starts um, in London, and mm -hmm. it travels uh, west, um, it starts midnight uh, New York time, which is very convenient for us, um, and then it, it travels west. Because um, that's because that's dawn in, in London, UK. exactly. So they're about five hours ahead. Um, and and if you so if you turned on the radio uh, at midnight on the East Coast at dawn in London, if you turned on Wave Farm, for example, if you tuned into Wave Farm's uh, live stream, I'm assuming, what do you hear? You hear what the the daybreak sounds like locally from live open mics um, at Sound Camp's location in London. And mm. then it starts moving west. And so you're really, you're hearing the sounds of birds, dawn chorus. You're hearing um, sometimes the sounds of water. Some, there's hydrophones in the mix, depending on what location you're coming from. Could you um, explain what a hydrophone is? An underwater microphone. 
I know you guys have talked with Zach Poff, who has a yeah. project called Pond Station here at Wave Farm. So often, right. often during Reve, um, we we tap into the the Pond Station sounds here. Sure. But yeah, it's the um, we just had the sixth annual Reve happen last weekend. Um, it's always the first weekend of May in um, synchronicity with the International Chorus Day, and it's a really beautiful listen. And I think this year was in some ways the most listenable to date. Um, sometimes there's been these long passages over bodies of water, which s- sound more like sort of noise and static um, than the delightful and accessible bird sounds. And this year it was it was mo- almost entirely delightful. So it was nice. So how long, I have, I have so many questions. How long, how long, if you're listening to the entire 24 hours, how long are you hearing each microphone, each uh, piece? I'm not sure if it's totally uniform, um, but it's. A, I know that the Wave Farm live feed is about 20 minutes. Okay. And Maria and Grant do a great job um, introducing each location as they they move the feed. Um, Wave Farm's Icecast streaming server is sort of the main host for uh, the Reve stream, and mm. then we. Um, I know that there's a partnership with Resonance in uh, London, and I'm not sure if it's on their digital or um, what exactly is the terms of their partnership. But here at Wave Farm, our FM station, WGXC, broadcasts the entire 24 hours and has since the very first year. So that's something we're really proud of and and love. Very cool. And And is that archived? Can people hear the broadcast again. Yeah, I believe all of them are. I should, after this interview, I'll check and make sure I'm not okay. misspeaking. Links in the show notes today on radiosurvivor.com to as many 24-ish hour dawn chorus broadcasts that are available. And how and how do they find, where are all of the microphone locations and how are they chosen? How did they come to be part of the project? So um, there's this project called Locus Sonus, and it's a sound map of open microphones across the world. Um, And I believe that is where the project started, um, using those as the primary feeds. And then I think throughout the years, it's just uh, grown um, exponentially, really. And so they're approached by people who want to be streamers. They've tapped into environmental um, agencies and projects to access their live streams. Wave Farms made available our um, app, and I think Locus Sonus has their own app as well um, that lets people just with a mobile device now become a streamer because you could be standing anywhere you're located and offer your 20 minutes of, of daybreak. So it's become a real conf- communal um, collaboration, so it's nice. I was I was poking around on that map and it's really so amazing, uh, and and it's um, if you look on the map at any given time, you can see when it's day and when it's night, and and so I was doing my own, I guess, similar to Don Chorus, where I was just sort of floating around the map and hearing what it sounded like in different parts of the world, and it's really cool. Yeah, there's really. something to be said for um, uh, like three a.m. chorus. That'd be, I would love to hear some open microphones in the in the deep quiet of nighttime absolutely well, and street noises uh you know there was somewhere in new york maybe in brooklyn i could hear yeah, exactly street, street noises at night 
not so sleepy cities. Uh, right. Cities that never sleep sleepy cities. There was something, I'm, I cannot for the life of me remember the origin of this, but I did read something in the last year, I think, when somebody was talking about uh, the advantage to online radio streams allowing you to tap in to local radio station sounds at midnight, you know, no matter uh, what time of day it was. If you knew midnight was your favorite time or your most efficient or productive time, you could create that atmosphere by, in the middle of the day for you, by tuning in a local radio station elsewhere at their midnight. Maybe it was something Mm. on Radio Survivor. Does that sound familiar to you? (laughs) Not Not yet. A future episode. (laughs) No, that's, it's such a cool idea. And uh, I was on my, on my radio show that I do at KFJC, I was talking to somebody about a program she had that started out as a late night program, and then it moved to kind of a late afternoon program. And and that idea of having a show that is originally designed to be late night programming, mm. I think you're right. There's something to be said for that, that there can right. be this whole different vibe to it. I think I think that Paul Reese Mandel, Jennifer Waits, and myself, Eric Klein, are all uh, sort of night owl radio lovers. Like we we probably fell in love with radio first in the in the dark definitely early morning hours of experimental radio around around our different hometowns and so so there's always a soft spot in our hearts for um for what uh the stations that we love do with those uh with those weird late night overnight hours when they have a live dj uh i think we've celebrated that quite a few times i should mention on radio survivor today even though we're not going to talk about it yet i should tease that we're also going to be talking about a, a a radio artist fellowship today on the program with uh, Wave Farms, Galen Joseph Hunter. And if you are a radio artist, or if you know a radio artist, stay tuned, and we'll have details about applying for that fellowship. Yes. But we but we should talk more about, uh, gosh, about this, about this live 24-hour, 25-ish hour uh, around-the-world stream that brings together the sounds of all these microphones as, uh, as the sun breaks... Uh, through the sky as dawn breaks um I, i'm wondering like what what sort of surprises other than the sounds other than putting this these beautiful sounds into your headphones uh like what has come of these projects that you would not have expected what um in terms of what is a surprising experience of yeah Renee? and the connections because so many i mean so many radio producers around the globe have to contribute yeah i mean i think There's definitely communication that's come out of um, being connected to a project like this, but but in a lot of ways, it's almost like a a much more um, internal, reflective, isolated uh, isolation, an experience in isolation. I think for people, Um, I mean, I think I think Reve is beautiful and ethereal and sort of ambient, but uh, intensely political um, in terms of maybe what one's projects upon it with their own experience. Um, uh-huh. You know, one can't help but to think about the sounds of the environment and climate change. One can't help but think about um, global relationships and uh, the strain both of those topics are on uh, under in the current day. Um, so it's, I don't know. It's a, it, yeah. Today's a particularly rough day politically in, in our country, I think. So um, I may be like bringing a dark cloud onto it, but um, 
it's understandable. It's, it's beautiful, well, but sort of um, morose at the same time, I think. Yeah, when when I was listening, I was struck by all the sounds of nature as well. And uh, I was interested in that community of, of folks who are recording nature sounds and wildlife sounds and how that, and, and I, I hadn't really thought about that community intersecting with the sound art community. Mm-hmm. So if maybe yeah. you could talk about how that collaboration, you know, what's coming out of that collaboration. I see, a, I see that collaboration growing intensely, um, especially like through Zach Poff's uh, Pond Station project here. There's been a lot of interest. Um, you know, we're in a rural, rural area and there's um, a gentleman connected to the Hawthorne Valley Farm Project that is working on creating these isolated microphones that can capture an entire orchard, for example. Um, and that's both, I think, scientific documentation and then this. there's this other piece that happens where they realize that there is something aesthetic and uh, creative and artistic happening with what's being captured or the possibility of that. Uh, there's an artist named David Rothenberg who's done a lot of work with the sounds of bugs um, who uh, has, I think occupies an interesting middle ground between the scientific and the artistic and has done a lot of interesting collaborations with uh, yeah. folks in the area. I don't know if you've I spoken a, with him. I, I have a friend who is a musician and a sound artist who told me a story. So this is not, I, you know, I need to know my facts on the radio, but this is just, this is just a tale. But he had learned about a naturalist who would record uh, the sound environments of, of natural places, of the jungle, of the woods, of a prairie, and um, his theory or his idea that he would demonstrate using these recordings was that a healthy environment had a sound spectrum coming out of the animals uh, that was full mm-hmm. in, in a certain way. And you could actually, with this recording, determine what was not, what was missing hmm. from the soundscape. The, what would be missing from the woods would also be missing from the soundscape. So if there was an unhealthy uh, situation in the environment, you would notice that the, a certain uh, frequency range of animal sound would be missing. And, you know, even to go so far as to say that humans had their place, that the song of humans also belongs somewhere in that natural spectrum of of sound. And the, that idea really captured my imagination when my friend shared it with me. And I don't, I don't know the name of that particular naturalist. Yeah, I completely buy that. It's like an ultrasound, an aural ultrasound that can reveal pockets of problems or, or health. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The birds and the bees uh, <laughs> have a lot to sing about, uh, especially at dawn. So that's, it's a very, it's a very, uh, yeah. And if, if, you know, also traffic starts to swell up as a sound in, in the environment at that time. Absolutely. So it's a lot, it's a lot to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So what else, uh, what else did we hear in the 24 hours uh, besides birds and traffic birds and bugs most of what i heard was heavily in the bird arena um i know in past years there's been some streamers that have kind of taken the opportunity for a bit of intervention um sonically but i don't know if that happened this year um and is that controversial (laughs) 
<laughs> I, so I, they, they, they commandeer the microphone for their own artistic uh, expression. They yeah. sing a song. <laughs> well, no, words. it was just, it, there was some archival audio that was sort of interjected. I think it was last year. Um, yeah. And that's, that's prov- provocative and like causes one to think about whether that should, is okay or not. Or, right. I mean, yeah. So it's, I think it's good in terms of um, causing people to think a little bit, but maybe the the purity of the idea of the of the broadcast yeah. is best funny yeah i'm a strong proponent of the holder of a microphone uh, being entirely silent during during the recording process one of my favorite uh, sound artists that i that i enjoy is a documentary sound artist um i have no idea you, you never hear his hand you never hear his feet you never hear his breath uh on all of his recordings and there's you know, hundreds of hours of his work out out in the world. That's a that's a acquired talent, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, we're on the line with Galen Joseph Hunter, executive director of Wave Farm, which is in upstate New York, and also is connected to WGXC, a radio station that um, is a community radio station that does the work that you might associate with community radio, but also in conjunction with Wave Farm, sort of. Uh, amplifies and celebrates a whole lot of of radio art and my name is eric klein and with me is jennifer waits hello and, and we should add that radio survivor this this very show airs on wgxc which is part of the whole wave farm family it does yeah. it airs twice it airs on wednesdays at 3 p.m on the east coast and on saturdays at 8 a.m and i mean another cool thing about wave farm is that you have multiple audio channels. So like we were talking about the pond station with the hydrophone, one can tune in and listen to the pond and nothing else. Yes. If one wants, there's, there's a live stream of the pond. I, I've, I've uh, checked it out recently just for my own enjoyment as well as the, um, the, uh, the weather warlock, the, the weather warlock. I love that weather warlock yeah. because I think at the moment, at least uh, when I last checked, in the past uh, few days, your weather warlock is the only stream that's currently live online. Uh, the New Orleans weather warlock uh, was not uh, operating. That probably that means that Quintron is on tour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Quintron is the is the artist who create who built this weather synthesizer that drones beautifully uh, throughout the twenty four hour period, uh, measuring the wind and the and the temperature and the sunshine and probably some barometric pressure and all of these uh, features of, of the day's weather um, are fed into a synthesizer changing the sound of a drone. It's a very uh, useful online stream when you just want one thing to contemplate. Although the weather, well, both Pond Station and Weather Warlock are... Um generative and super dynamic and surprising too so it is depending on what your listening habits are you'll either find it monotonous or not at all like where you fall in that spectrum but (laughs) but uh yeah i i love writing to the weather warlock i find it extremely therapeutic and enjoy yeah yeah and quintron was just up last month uh giving his weather warlock some upgrades and tune-ups and it sounds Ooh. better than ever uh so i encourage people to check in at oh should i, should I tell them yeah. where and how go, go to wavefarm.org slash listen and you can sample all the streams available 
yeah, and links links to all those good all those good things in the show notes today at radiosurvivor.com for this episode, episode number 193, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. So you know, Wave Farm always has artists coming through. You have residencies, and now you have an upcoming Wave Farm Artist Fellowship, which is a brand new a brand new opportunity that I'd love for you to talk more about. Yes, I'm, we are super, super excited about this. So the residency program that you mentioned is very brief. It's a 10-day period for an artist to come work on a transmission art project, which means any part of the electromagnetic spectrum. This new opportunity, which is called the Wavefarm Radio Artist Fellowship, is a nine-month engagement with an artist. Wow. It's, it's a part-time engagement, um, and there will be a few site visits here in Acre in New York's upper Hudson Valley, but a lot of the work will be done remotely. Um, and it is um, multi-tiered. So we're inviting someone to come um, develop an audio, an audio archive of uh, radio artworks that are both historical and contemporary, um, as well as create some contextual information about them. We're inviting people to produce radio content drawing from that archive and elsewhere. It's up to the, the fellow. Um, we're inviting the fellow to make their own radio artworks for broadcast on our FM station, WGXE. And we're being very fluid and flexible about what that might mean in terms of number of works and duration because there's such a large spectrum in the way that people work. Um, and then in this sort of engagement category, we're asking the fellow to conduct three workshops or listening sessions with the about 75 volunteer programmers we have uh, for WGXC as a way to really commingle and integrate the radio art practice part of, of what our radio station does and the community radio part of what WGXC is about. So you have you have an entire study center at Wave Farm. Is there an existing collection? Well, I think there is. I feel like I saw some of it. Um, is there an existing collection of audio there that that you're hoping to get organized? Is that part of part of the impetus for the resident for the fellowship? I think that might be like phase two next year or something. Um, we do have a ton of CDR spools that need. Um, you know, PhD level uh, research and organization and contextualization. Don't we all? Um, <laughs> we all do. Uh, but, but that is not a responsibility of this particular fellowship. Um, we ah. just recently, on the last episode of Radio Survivor, uh, underlined a fact that I think is familiar to a lot of uh, sound lovers, that as, as, as urgent as the need to um, digitize tape reel-to-reel -reel from the 70s, for instance, uh, maybe as a as an archivist, it's actually probably more important to get right to your uh, CDRs, your burned CDs from the '90s and early aughts, and and make copies of them off CD. Make make digital copies of what's on your CDs yeah. because apparently those are those are leaving uh, the earth faster even than magnetic tape is. Yeah, I believe it. What's on your CDRs? Just everything. Um, we, when we started out, Wavefarm started out as a micro radio collective in Brooklyn called Free 103.9. And we would um, use VHS tape 
the audio mm-hmm. on VHS tape to run the overnights. And then we started operating a venue in South Williamsburg for performance and sound experimentation. And we wow. would record those live performances on VHS. So in 2007, we got a grant from the New York State Council on the Arts, which was a preservation grant to move the content from VHS to CDR, which was then considered <laughs> oh, uh, wow. the best a reasonable practice. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we've got a lot of that original VHS material, that early VHS material. And then we also, um, as Free 103.9 evolved from micro radio collective to arts organization, we started getting invited to do a lot of really cool events around the world. And we started capturing all of that onto CDR. Um, So it's basically the organization's archives um, that exist in that format. But the fellowship... So that's a different archive. Yeah. I mean, the fellowship is not at all as navel-gazing to Wave Farm as that project we were just talking about is. No, Um, that's a tangent. That's a radio survivor uh, tangent that we love to go on because I don't know about the listeners, but anytime anybody mentions a stack of CDs and the idea that, you know, each little thin, uh, you know, nine millimeters worth is 72 minutes of some special little audio present from the past uh that's that's where my mind wanders and so that's amazing so just to think of all of the artists who either were local to your brooklyn performance space or were passing through i imagine from around the world and all of those performances that's a very cool it's a very cool stack it's the project i want to do most but if i can ever figure out how to stop time that's what i'll be working on you stop time by recording audio <laughs> and then making stacks and stacks and stacks of things to worry about next year. Yeah. Um, well, uh, that's exciting. But Galen Joseph Hunter, the executive director of Wave Farm, let's get back on track. Uh, what You were talking about the Radio Artist Fellowship. And so you just described to the audience here um, a bird's eye view of all of the amazing things that an artist who, who um, is selected to do this fellowship um, would get to engage in. So let's let's zoom in on one of those ideas. Right. So the research part, which is about developing an audio archive, um, is not explicitly narrow to Wave Farms activities, but rather trying to create a um, expansive and uh, kind of important archive of radio artwork. Uh, historical to contemporary and really getting that in one place Um, you know rights pending making it available online um, creating broadcasts from that Um, but it's it's a it's a terrific genealogy project Um, so so the artist who would apply for this fellowship uh, possibly who's listening to radio survivor right now uh, they should have a an idea in mind of of a of an archive worthy of being categorized, being preserved? Is that the they, idea? They sh- no, they should have um, knowledge, uh, some knowledge and yeah. intense passion and enthusiasm for the history of radio art and related practices. Okay. And, and the, then where do they find the, the actual tape? Uh, Who finds the tape? Where do they find the content? They find it yeah. um, any way they can. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's a so, research project. Wow, oh, okay. So they're creating a brand new archive exactly which is really cool oh the imagination uh what would you do jennifer i would be totally overwhelmed um and i know that i know that there's a huge community of radio artists all over the world and i feel like 
I feel like in the United States, um, I'm only exposed to kind of people scratching the surface of that community. So I, I would not be the person to create the archive, but I would be very excited to see the archive because I know that I'm, I'm missing out on so much radio art that's happening all over the world. We're pretty excited about it. This We, we hope that it'll be an annual fellowship. Um, this first year will be, um, the opportunity is open to American uh, applicants only, and we'll see, we may be able to expand it internationally in the future. Um, but yeah, yeah, hopefully some like very obscure, I even think about places like College Radio where weird experiments might be happening that qualify as radio art that, that just... Um, you know, haven't really, that that people are completely unaware of. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I mean, also where the my, fun of the radio content programming comes in, too, where you might draw something from the canon, but also um, place it next to the kind of content you're describing, Jennifer. Yeah. It, my mind goes to the idea just that, like, that any archive of radio, um, but, you know, as time passes, potentially becomes an archive of radio art it's you know like just thinking of like uh the um the hip-hop radio archive and you know at the time you might not have considered uh you know a a a tape of an air check of a hip-hop show in the 90s as being uh, transmission art but i think 25 years later uh there's no reason why it's not those those um those artifacts become become much more meaningful uh through the passage of time so there's just it seems like there's endless possibilities to 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 pull from to create this to create this archive and then the idea galen and joseph hunter of wave farm would be that that archive would then um be available to other researchers to other artists is that is that right absolutely yeah um you know the fellowship is timed with the academic year and i think it's because we just even in that sort of poetic um, calendar uh, matching, we want it to serve as an educational tool, and we imagine it becoming a part of you know different curriculum and things like that. Neat, but but again, no specific um, no specific criteria yet. Just an archive. The artist, the radio artist fellowship um, who's selected will create a radio archive. Uh, a radio in, art you know, archive, and we may radio art archive and. Yeah. and um, you know, it may, it'll be a conversation with the fellow as to how we're defining radio art. Absolutely. And the fellow, yeah. will, the fellow will drive that. But um, I, I do think that this is a project that is about the, the history and contemporary practice of radio art by people who are thinking in those terms. So there's lots mm-hmm. of room to bring other sorts of radio um, action and activity that is experimental into the conversation but i'm not sure it'll be interesting we'll have a conversation speaking of who would be a part of that conversation i should mention that the fellowship has three very um, accomplished uh, mentors that are going to be working closely with the selected artist and that is anna frizz joan schumann and gregory whitehead all of whom i assume you guys know but maybe not but for listeners anna frizz who's a canadian radio artist that's now based in California, and Joan Schumann, who is behind the earlid.org project and also a radio artist, and then Gregory Whitehead, writer, radio artist, um, critic, uh, incredible advisor. 
It sounds like a great opportunity. I, I, I met Anna Frizz at a college radio conference at UC Santa Cruz, actually, and I was amazed by her her work in radio art and she's definitely been on my radar and sort of a a radio survivor guest that we need to have on also yeah uh, i believe anna's name is on a lot of lists that we've <laughs> of, of potential future guests i know um one thing that that sparked my curiosity a little bit ago you mentioned the canon and and so as part of this archive you want to be um being mindful of historic and important radio artworks. Could you explain what you mean by canon in that context? Well, I think that maybe even def- like identifying a canon, um, really, you, and you alluded to this a bit, Jennifer, that there's, there's not a lot of um, work done about the history of radio art ex- explicitly in the United States. And I'm not sure if this archive will be that narrowly focused or not. Um, but there's there is a real lack of resource out there that really documents the history of artists working with the medium of radio, and so you know under the best circumstances of what this might turn into, I would I imagine it might help create a canon for for what that history is. Hmm. Why do you, why do you think that there's so little so little has been done about the history of radio art? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think that there's a real absence of creative radio in the United States, perhaps with the exception of what can happen in uh, community radio stations, but LPFM is so um, young. And yeah. frankly, radio is young. In fact, listening to Radio Survivor recently, um, Tom Rowe, artistic director of Wayfarm, and I were just in the car and thinking about the... Uh, 2020 hundred year anniversary of that that specific definition of the first broadcast that um, you spoke about so carefully and articulately, or one of your guests did. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I said to Tom, "Hey, you know, WGXC's been around for almost a tenth of that," and he was like, "You've just blown my mind." And it's we're, it's all so young, so maybe that's part of it too. Yeah, that's a really good point that I think I hadn't thought too much about either. It just, yeah, the the youth of radio. Well, and, and you know, our, our previous guests, um, Josh Shepard and Neil Verma mentioned on that episode of Radio Survivor, episode number 191, check out the show notes, uh, that um, there's been, and it's, it's not clear, it's just a speculation, but that there's been a divide in um, the world of, of art critique, let's say, that radio is a part of um, low culture, not high culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and of course that idea is sunsetting and totally irrelevant in the year 2020. But for the whole 20th century, I think it sort of dominated, like the idea of what is art. I don't, you know, what played on the radio was certainly not in the United States. Certainly not considered um, a part of high culture. Right. And I do think that this is a good time to be trying to address that um, circumstance because. And I think your your previous episode talked about this a little bit as well, that there is, um, I think, new attention and respect being given to creative radio um, in conjunction with the embrace of the visual art world of sound practice at large. Yeah, sound art, sound studies yeah. is, is on the yeah, rise. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking about with sound studies, which we've talked about on a number of episodes. And... Yeah, maybe you could speak to that too. How is sound? How does sound studies 
intersect with transmission art? Um, that's an excellent question. We, we actually struggle with trying to draw some lines for people um, in that yeah. respect a lot. So our, our residency program that's been going on since 2005 is designed explicitly for a transmission art project. It could be by an artist who doesn't have a tremendous body of work in that genre, but the project proposal needs to be about transmission and make an argument for for how and why it's about transmission. And we right, do- so it's, it's not just a sound recording; it also is a sound recording or a live performance that's being broadcast on the radio. It's for the radio. Um, only for the radio. If your definition of radio is electromagnetic spectrum, so right. <laughs> we have we have a lot of residency projects that are not at all intended for conventional FM broadcast, but uh-huh. instead are like hand forged uh, receiving antennas that are sculptural in nature, or you know someone's doing a moon bounce this summer, or. Um, and there's, you know, there's a, a radio play that will be on FM. Um, a mixtape that you, that arrives in the mail? Um, oh, a moon I, bounce. I, not a mixtape. No, I'm, I'm asking if, if a mixtape oh, that arrives in the mail we, counts as transmission art. You know, we've argued about mail art a lot, actually. Um, so, yeah, I think I think you can make that argument. Um, Someone will argue it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but back to the question of sound studies, we do get a... a tremendous amount of um, applications that are really sound art proposals and sound art is not the same in our mind at all as transmission art because transmission art is explicitly about the act of transmission and reception mm-hmm. with that the specific technology could you could you explain what it, maybe give me a definition or give a specific sound art project and why it's sound art versus transmission art to help you yeah, explain that. Or I, I think f- I, I, I'll follow up on that and just, um, yeah, explain why the transmission, the idea of transmission sort of uh, supersedes just, uh, just the sound. It's important. It is. Okay. So for Jennifer's question first, um, you know, we have accomplished interesting artists that have a, uh, experimental sound composition in mind that could be made using field recordings and then post-production and they're going to play it on four uh, four speakers, surround sound or something. That is not necessarily transmission artwork. That's a sound composition. Okay. Now, if someone is going to do uh, set up a field recording microphone with a micro radio and send that to some sort of receiver and that there's a compelling reason that they're doing it and there's the project is much more robust than I'm describing, that would be sort of a transmission art project that used some of the same elements but passed the test. Well, and, and I was interested, and now I'm forgetting where I had this conversation. It may have been at Wave Farm that even things like baby monitors could mm-hmm. be oh, absolutely. used in transmission art. So it's not, it's not just, um, it's not just radio, not just in radio. terms of what most people think of when you hear the word radio. What are some other kind of weird things that might be used for transmission art? We're seeing a lot of um, satellite projects. Mm. So we have, um, we work a lot with an artist named Heidi Nielsen. Um, and she is installing this summer um, an installation called Here Goes, uh, also with an artist named Harry Dev Robinson. Um, 
they're working together. And it's basically this structure that you recline in and you look through a viewer and you see high resolution images of um, the earth and weather patterns. And the, the way that those images are being uh, received and presented to you is because of a enormous satellite dish that is speaking to a geostationary satellite 25,000 miles um, away, collecting the data and reassembling it into Im- high resolution imagery. Whoa. Wow. So it doesn't well, have to be sound. It can it does be not. transmission it, art, can exactly. be something other than sound. And that goes to Eric's question posed earlier about like, why does the, um, why does the notion of transmission um, and that specificity, specificity, um, why is it more important than the sonic? Um, to paraphrase you badly, sorry. Um, so, no, so, someone has to do it. <laughs> um, but so this goes back to our very early days as a micro radio um, station and Tom Wave Farms early days. Yes, exactly. Um, so back when we were free 103.9 and sitting in a room with Tom Bro and Matt Micus, who was heavily involved then, um, we were talking about becoming a nonprofit. And we were, I think we were probably talking about um, naming and um, maybe we're starting to craft our first mission statement or something. Um, and we were talking about radio art and we all knew that we wanted to work with artists who worked both sonically and visually. And we were fearful that when you say radio art, you automatically think of work that's being created for FM broadcast, maybe AM broadcast, but probably just FM. And so in order to try to be broad and um, cast a wide enough net that could include sculpture, installation, and everything in between, Mm -hmm. we um, thought of the transmission spectrum and and thought of using that word. And we also, um, you know, we don't claim to be the authority on where the lines are drawn for what is transmission art or what is not. And we love it when people bring new ideas or answers to the table in that regard. So with the residency program, that's why there's that piece that's kind of like explain why this this is transmission art to you. And, and um, there's room for, for teaching us something too. So what are your big hopes and dreams for for this new Radio Artist Fellowship? Well, I'm really excited that it comes with the largest stipend that we've ever been able to artists offer an artist. Um, and so I'm excited to get some money into the hands of an artist. Yeah, that's that's a hope and a dream that is being realized. Um, I'm really excited about um, someone coming in and creating really well informed and articulate and well contextualized radio art programming uh, for WGXE. And Tom Rowe has been doing a kind of masterful um, job of that while juggling 20 million other things. Um, But uh, I think to have someone who's purely focused on that is going to result in some really important and meaningful and terrific content for the radio station. And then is that, do I understand you correctly? Is that like the, that the radio artist fellowship uh, who you select or who is selected for Wavefarm would sort of become like a program director for Wavefarm? Not, no, won't become a program director, but we'll, um, we'll produce up to around five hours of content a week. So, okay. so oh, really okay. just having someone that's job is or focus is to create some very well considered content that isn't being 
pulled in a million different directions is a very Neat. privileged and exciting idea, I think. I get it. Yeah, yeah. and that's a lot of work. I mean, yeah. that's that's a lot of um, radio art to produce yes, really every wonderful. week. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. I, I cut you off midstream, uh, Galen Joseph Hunter, Executive Director of Wave Farms. What was, what was next? Oh, I think I was trying to come up with a list of hopes and dreams for the fellowship. Yeah, that's right. I cut you off. I cut off your hopes and dreams to ask a practical question. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say is the um, the overlapping with the community programmers that we have at WGXC is really exciting. And, and they're a really terrifically um, diverse and talented group of people. And I would right. definitely describe some of them as radio artists and some of them are... Um, local DJs and some of them are people who are invested in local politics but I just think that having um, these listening sessions um, or workshops or, uh, that bring everybody together um, is an exciting idea it's like you're you have it's sort of like professional development or like uh, enrichment radio community enrichment for um, for the community because again wave farm is a organization that's devoted entirely to transmission arts and it's uh it's 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 housed in the same uh space as a community radio station which is more devoted to sort of the traditional uh public affairs and talk and music spinning content that most people would recognize as community radio i would say sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but i would say that um that the the community radio station definitely has those elements you're describing, but mm-hmm. I would also say that WGXC is probably way more radio art leaning than probably right. any other community in quotes radio station in the country. So it's a nice opportunity for the that convergence that happens on the station to happen in the physical space too among the programmers. But I've yeah. seen, the times that I've tuned in, I've heard I've heard community members doing community radio, sort of talking about you know talking about high school sports was the one my one primary example. And so it's it's neat to think of, of those individuals who are uh, who are community radio people having this opportunity to uh, to sit in and uh, uh, participate in a in a workshop in a listening session with the Radio Artist Fellowship. There exactly. They're at Wave Farm. I called you Wade. Uh, they're at they're at Wave Farm. And then the last yeah, I mean, piece, being able to uh, really offer a radio artist a full power FM platform for their own work over a nine month period is pretty exciting too, and a rarity, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So what's the what's the timing for this whole fellowship application period, so, and and when will it start? So the application. Um, Deadline is May 31st, and there is lots of information on the Wave Farm website. Um, and I'll get, I'll send you guys maybe a direct link to the call too for the uh, sure. Radio Survivor site. Um, decisions will be made in June, and then the fellowship schedule is September through May of 2020. It's very exciting. I and do you anticipate? So. Do you anticipate that there will be? high demand? Is there a big community of folks who you think have the background and skills that would fit with this fellowship? Is it is it going to be challenging to find the right person? Or do you think that there are quite a few people who are a good fit? I have no idea, but we have t- had a conversation around these questions a lot lately. Um, I think we're going to get a few dozen uh, applications. Um, and i that, I said that before we even announced the open call. And yeah. so far, I'm guessing that 
might be pretty accurate based on the couple that have come in already and the inquiries have been getting. Well, I guess what we should ask is if there are listeners to Radio Survivor right now who are just finding out about this radio artist fellowship for the first time, how would they know whether they're uh, the kind of person who should apply? What kind of people should apply for this who might be listening? Um, we say um, an American radio artist with strong in- interests in the history of radio art and related practices. Um, so, I mean, if, if you feel you fit into that, then keep reading the uh yeah. the open call and um the application um asks for a statement um that is a description of the applicant's personal interest in broadcast as a creative medium so we want to see people really having um the ability to be articulate about that subject and then we ask for some work samples of the applicant's own radio artwork and then a sample playlist um to help um the review panel understand how deep their knowledge of radio art goes. Mm. Very cool. And, and I guess if this, you know, it's a big commitment, this particular fellowship, it's a great opportunity, but also a big commitment. If they're radio artists who might be more interested in the residency, what's that application process like? So that application process has an annual deadline of February 1st. um, And it's a, a, a pretty simple application form, but it is a competitive program. Last, um, or this year, I should say, in 2019, we received 104 applications from, I think it was 17 countries and 22 states. Um, and for both... To be to be an artist in residency at Wave Farm. With a, a transmission art, well, a transmission yeah. art project proposal. Okay. Yeah. And how many, how many slots are there throughout the year for... 10 10 okay let's let's talk yeah, about competitive the last, let's talk about the last one that the last piece of work that was created at wave farm uh as part of this residency oh see now i have to remember where we were was that i think that might have been aaron dillaway um so he's a that's a great example um he came to wave farm uh he's an uh, an artist um that performs with tape loops and he's based in oh, Cleveland. And he had a friend on the West Coast that um, had received or rescued a box of radio station tape carts um, for so- uh, sound effect tape carts mm. and had saved them for Aaron. So Aaron kept these. For, for non-radio nerd listeners, these this is a cassette technology that was widely used in radio stations in like the 80s or so. Um, and you know, allowed for a high sound fidelity, a little bit better than the cassettes you're used to, and uh, could loop, oh gosh, like what, about like two minutes or so of content or less. And so it was a very useful thing back before digital files, these tape and cards. It, it and we've kind talked of looks, about- Kind of looks like an eight track. Yeah, and we've talked about my favorite radio artist, um, uh, Don Joyce, was a, was a virtuosic uh, composer of, of tape carts when he worked at KPFA. Uh, he had a lot of, of these machines, and he would use them for um, all sorts of sources uh, during his live uh, mixes, his live broadcasts. Sorry, I interrupted because ta- I could not talk about tape loops. I hear you. And after yeah. having Aaron here, I totally agree. Um, so, so, how, he sh- so he makes his tape loops on carts or all over the place? He makes them um, with uh, a variety of um, kind of, I think, prepared tape machines. Um, uh-huh. But so he showed up with a box of these 
uh, sound effect tape carts from a West Coast radio station, which I can't remember which one it was. Um, I know we're dying to know, of course. That's, yeah, that's I'll have to find out. Um, and of all the tangents. And he created a, a new radio work with them. Um, mm-hmm. So this was an example of someone who was working with um, something f- related to radio broadcast and creating a work for right. radio broadcast. Um, and he also held a workshop here and taught other artists how to make tape loops. And that was a lot of fun. Oh, um, and his, I want to go. <laughs> his end result was really um, a great piece. And the audio for which um, is up on the Wayfarm website. And the piece was um, called Untitled, but parenthetically, Everyone Eats Garbage. Mm. <laughs> the artist's name again? Aaron Dillaway. And it's Aaron, A-A-R-O-N-D-I-L-L-O-W-A-Y. Sorry. And that's just one example of um, a Wayfarm uh, artist in residency uh, sound art, transmission art radio piece that's available, uh, that you guys have made available um, to all of our ears, because all of, it, all of the sound art that Wavefarm has helped uh, bring into the world, has midwifed, is all available there on your incredible website. Um, how many, is that a fair question? How many residencies have there been? We started in 2005, and um, there have been a couple artists who have returned, um, but when we were celebrating our 20th anniversary, I went and did the list because we were creating this big event. And so it's, you know, it's well over 100, 150 residents that we've had since yeah. we started. Well, I would like to say thank you to Wave Farm and all the people that make it possible for putting that much, um, putting that much energy and intention into, into boosting uh, radio art and transmission arts and giving people, uh, giving people the platform as well as, uh, the opportunity to make some of this stuff. It's really great. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, it's incredible. And, and we haven't really talked about it, but, you know, when I visited Wave Farm, one has the ability to take a hike through the property and yeah. and see and hear a number of these pieces that have been created. Yeah, so, playing from the trees like a haunted forest. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, do you ever have folks coming through who have never experienced this sort of experimental audio before. I'm, I'm curious about some of the most interesting reactions you've had. Um, most of the people that come physically to Wave Farm um, for tours and events, I think have some idea of what they're getting into. Although, um, you know, we because we do have one of the, the broadcast studios for WGXC here um, and a good chunk of our programming, especially the morning show, uh, happens here. We do get just regular um, interviewees coming in to be on the morning show that may have nothing to do with the arts. Um, mm. And so their interests are piqued and uh, ears opened, probably, um, as a result. Because on the walk to the studio, they have to hear sound art coming <laughs> from the trees. Well, actually, th- that would be lovely. But this, the the studio <laughs> is a bit closer to where they park. But some of okay. some of our visitors go on on the tour, and they do, you know, get the get the pond station, and they're being right. interviewed next to the weather warlock. So they definitely get a sense of something a little uh, different happening here, perhaps. Well, the studio itself is full of contraptions and and tools and 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 I believe so during the morning show or, or during during any show you can layer in sounds from the weather warlock and and various uh, toys so 
Yeah, I, I love think, that because the you know anybody who's bored off your radio station knows that the most important thing is to have a CD in the CD player. So if anything goes wrong on any kind of show, music or public affairs, you just you get that CD going to fill the dead air. But at there at WGXC, your dead air filler are this is the weather warlock that uh, that drones a beautiful interpretation of the weather and the pond station that that plays the sound from under a pond uh, nearby your nearby your studio both of which you should be hearing now hopefully i oh, am yeah, yeah. Bring, them <laughs> bring them in play them play them out play us out it's actually time uh Galen joseph hunter to to say goodbye at least to the radio audience here today uh, hope, can you join us for a little bit extra podcast sure content? great yeah so uh as the what do I hear? It's so funny how Skype uh, interprets. The, it tries to filter out the noise. So I'm actually, I'm hearing a special version. I'll mix it in for the listener. It's not as good oh, as really? the version that you're recording there for me, Galen Joseph Hunter. The recording as well. Yeah, please do. Um, Should I bring that down? That's, no, it's great. Okay. Keep, Keep going. going. Uh, so Radio Survivor is a podcast as well as a radio program. If you're listening to us right now over the radio, you can definitely hear the rest of today's conversation or anything you missed with Galen Joseph Hunter, Executive Director of Wave Farm. If you want to learn more about the Radio Artist Fellowship, which is an incredible opportunity for someone to do uh, a lot of good work in radio art, you can find out that information there at Wave Farm's website, of course, or uh, visit radiosurvivor.com. Uh, today's episode is episode number 192 or 193. We're getting there. Uh, you can email Radio Survivor. We'd love to talk with you about anything you've heard today. If you have any questions or comments, the email address is podcast at radiosurvivor.com. And of course, uh, in addition to clicking on the stream and listening to today's episode as a podcast at radiosurvivor.com, you can also subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, on the Google Podcasts, on Overcast, on uh, whatever app I've left out. Um, please do. It's always free. And if you want to find out more about how you can help us continue with the work, please please visit radiosurvivor.com slash support. My name is Eric Klein. Uh, Jennifer Waits produced today's episode. And my thanks again to Galen Joseph Hunter for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Whew, breathless. Now awesome. we can just, now we can podcast. We'll just keep keep go keep going if that's okay. If you guys can keep the keep your recordings going without an edit, Let's and, just, how, uh, and how are you doing time wise? Because now we're keeping you. Um, yeah, I well have a past little, an hour. Uh, I can I can stick around a little longer. I probably shouldn't stick around too much longer. We can wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, I just like I always feel a little more relaxed with the podcast because I feel like I'm allowed to. So so Galen, do you mistakes. have the theremin in there too? Mm. Oh, I do, but it's not on. Oh, so I'm less uh, I'm less equipped to turn that on at a moment's notice. I remember I'm I remember there were little sound effects boxes in there, like you buy in a novelty store. Mm -hmm. We've got the ooh, that one. I think the battery's dying on this one. That's supposed to be Galen Joseph Hunter. Are you on this selection committee for the Radio Artist Fellowship? 
I am, yes. The, okay, you're making the choice. The selection okay. committee is um, comprised of myself, uh, Tom Rowe, and then the mentors, uh, Anna Frizz, Joan Schumann, and Henry Whitehead. Because I had a... It's silly. This is not the best way to use the little bit of time, but I was, I was going to pitch you an idea, not because I wanted to apply, but just to hear your... Uh, what you thought of it okay so maybe maybe i can make that commitment i'm not applying uh i don't think i can afford to at the moment um in so many ways although can i who knows life is so interesting why don't you take a look Um, at the call and see if it speaks to you i should well okay here's the weird idea keeping that in mind that you shouldn't uh give me too good of advice and like uh, prejudice my my idea against other people's ideas but like my favorite thing when I had a radio job at my radio station was they had trained me to do news and public affairs and that was what I did with my privilege and my time when I was there both for money and uh, as a volunteer but at one point in my uh, eight year career working at KPFA I had the opportunity to sort of take those skills and turn them into an art project that was on the air and so I I had a live call-in talk show that used, um, that had a lot more freedom to be, and it was so funny because a lot of the listeners, some of them totally understood and some of them still like tried to call in and give their political opinions, like the way that all callers would. Would that be a transmission art, this 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 experimental call-in talk show? So um, I lost one, I think only one word at some point in there, but so it was, it was a call and it was a call in show. And was there a th- theme or what was, was it anything? Well, we did different things. It was, it was my opportunity to experiment a sort of like a funny moment where nobody was paying attention. Um, there was, there was a, a multiple episode run that I did where the theme was um, our dead friends and Facebook because it was uh, 2000 and, 11 it was 2011 and i was just discovering that sometimes when your facebook friends die the that particular website doesn't know quite what to do with itself mm-hmm. in in a way that is reminiscent of what it's like when your friends die and you just don't know what to do right. uh, that grieving process and so i opened the phones to have people talk about that and i also talked with a friend who because we had just had a co-worker and a friend who had died uh, at kpfa and so talking about that strange connection to this uh, person who's very recently alive and now dead, but also um, they're still right there on Facebook. And it was, it was right before Facebook had figured it out and like actually had a policy. So it was, it was in this weird moment of the website where they didn't know what to do. And we, so I opened the phones. I had people call in. Um, I also had sound of a grief counselor explaining grief, which was some of the most powerful uh, interview tape I've ever gotten. I mixed it with music. I did a live mix with the with the Collins, um, and then I um, I took the like four hours that we had and like made a half an hour version at one point. Hmm. That's that was my art piece. I, That's I, more I, just me wanting to brag about my art. <laughs> I, you know, I would um, really love to hear that half hour also because my. F- um, my father passed away unexpectedly in 2011 and had a Facebook mm. account and I like all of a sudden was forced to reckon with that. Um, so yeah, I'm curious. I love the Cool. Yeah. Wow, and I remember that exact moment. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, yeah, 
anyway. Um, yeah, I want to hear it. Okay, cool. That's all. I just wanted to talk about my art. I want someone to pay attention to my art. That's more than me asking a question. <laughs> and, That's and, what I'm going to do with the podcast. I mean, maybe you should give some new life to, to this archive of material, too. Yeah. That's, um, well, uh, again, podcast audience, I'll admit, I am sitting at my desk, and I'm surrounded by uh, 10 years worth of mini discs <laughs> that I recorded in my youth. Um from 1996 or so to 2006. So my 20s are all on minidisc. And and it's all prior to me uh, getting a job at a radio station. It's before I learned to focus. It's all weird, weird recordings. Um, And so I'm currently digging in that nostalgic archive, that nostalgic personal archive. But then I've also got cassettes and a CD mixer and a CD mixer and a mixer and and a delay pedal and a and a sampler. Anyway, You're surrounded you, by audio. Yeah, I'm surrounded by my sound art, so it's funny. Also, um, I love the fact that you feel more relaxed with the podcast. That's so. I mean, also, I'm not a I'm not a person who makes podcasts, but um, mm-hmm. my it always feels like that's the that's the space that's highly edited and intentional in contrast to radio, which I think of as super oh. spontaneous and open seams, or at least the way we do radio. But it's the complete antithesis, I think, to what you're describing, which is kind of cool. Well, and he and since Eric is editing, he's he's thinking about it from the editor perspective too. Where yeah, the the Radio Survivor radio show has to be a certain length, right? Um, well, it's act, it's it's also though because I I definitely feel that uh, Radio Survivor, the radio show, and the hour that we devote to it um, belongs to the audience of these radio stations, and it's. Uh, it doesn't make as much sense to talk about myself that right. much. It's it's kind of always the first thing to go on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. On the last episode, in fact, the podcast version has me talking about my experiences uh, in the Pacifica Radio archives, but the radio version, I, I cut it out. Mm. And because um, it just makes more sense, like it's about our guest. Um, but podcasts are about the hosts uh, more than they're about guests, at least traditionally so oh, I feel, that's interesting i feel like it's uh, more appropriate just to be like i do this and i made that and um a little a little less um a little less constrained in that respect mm-hmm. um geez but let's, i have oh go ahead jennifer i have like a, a left turn question do before it. we let you go galen um i've recently become interested in smart speakers um and so I'm curious if there are radio artists, well, there must be radio artists working with with smart speakers and, and smart home devices like doorbells that transmit audio. Mm-hmm. Do you have any examples of, of stuff going on, or, you know, using those tools? Not the doorbells, but that's an excellent idea and you should do that or someone should do that um i'm sure someone is out there but not that i know about you know it's it's interesting um the artists that tend to come to wave farm with transmission art proposals are working um with technology that they're making themselves or like lo-fi most of the time um yeah and i'm not sure yeah it's just overwhelmingly the case 
It's so cutting edge. There's a. Have you seen the the video of the little boy calling his dad to ask how to turn on his cable TV channel on the doorbell? No. It's okay. very funny. The oh. kid, the kid rings the doorbell because his dad has the app and his dad's not there. His dad's somewhere else. But he, the kid knows. He, the kid that doesn't know how to pick up the landline and dial his dad's number at the office the way we did in the 80s right. he knows to ring the doorbell and that that'll connect so, wow yeah so and then his dad posted it and it went viral so he's like dad how do you turn on kids channel <laughs> you know it's just it's like, yeah we so we just got um now about me we just got a, a a doorbell that has you know the audio component um mm-hmm. and so you know we've had it for less than a week and so this is all fresh in my mind and it's constantly recording the sounds outside. And so you'll get alerts wow. for sound and motion. And for the most part, it's sound. So you'll get an alert, you know, that five in the morning, it's birds tweeting. So it's like my own Dawn chorus. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, and also the alerts get sent to everybody in the family. So my daughter, you know, knows when her package arrives and then is texting me like, did you get my package? Because she saw a video of it arriving. Wow. So it's this interesting um, time of surveillance that we're living in. Yeah, personal family surveillance. It reminds me of an article I read where a man was sitting in his backyard and all of a sudden a disembodied voice was like, hey, I I hacked your security system. You need to change the password. And it was like a white hat hacker somewhere across the country had, you know, had, I can't remember exactly how, but it was some obvious way to hack this guy. And he just wanted him to know, like, I'm not, I mean, you no harm, change your password. But, you know, he's, he's, he's calling him through his security system without, without that guy's uh, knowledge or permission. It's all black. They're all black mirror episodes. (laughs) Yeah. We live in in black mirror. All great ways to make. I'll, I'll gr- you know, fertile, fertile ground for artwork. I know. I, I might just have to be coming up with my artist in residence application yeah, for I love uh, it. Um, <laughs> That's surveillance. The podcast. Just pitching our <laughs> ideas. I know a guy who's, um, yeah, uh, Galen, did you hear our Amanda Don Christie episode? Oh, I knew that that was happening, but I can't, I don't know. If, I must have not heard it. I can't think of, it's I don't like have any a, memories of it. When was it, Jennifer? It was like three weeks ago. I yeah, a few I, weeks ago, she yeah. talked about um, a variety of things, including her work at Harp. Yeah, I think you yeah, know. Very, I think I heard a little in the background, but I didn't listen to it closely. I'm sorry. Very sorry. radio transmission art focused episode, which was wonderful. Um, uh, episode 190. So it was just. I mean, we recorded it a, a lot longer ago, but it aired very recently in the stream. We, you know, we worked a, with her a million times, right? Oh, good. Oh, yeah. 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 I didn't know. That. She's one of our. Makes she's sense. one of our small handful of repeat. Uh, residents so but i'm sure there's content in that episode that i don't know already so i should listen to it cool and and yeah and i don't think i looked through at what she had done at wave farm so that's a good reminder for me to go and peruse through the wave farm archives to check that out yeah she built her own theremin um when she was here the first time as part of her um rci uh uh, what was it called? Spectrum. Uh, it, she did that whole multifaceted project about the fall of the Radio Canada International Times. Right. So that was the yeah, first piece. What an incredible, what an incredible everything that yeah. piece. You know, uh, I just encourage listeners to go check it out because it's a very, um, 
it sort of tied a lot of knots together for Radio Survivor with uh, her celebration of, of shortwave radio and and the, the towers themselves and then making art out of it. And oh boy, so fun. Yeah, and she's like, she's obsessed with every aspect of radio, which I love. I mean, it made for the perfect guest. <laughs> yeah. She, and then most, most recently, which was. A, was it just last year maybe I don't know it was one or two years ago she built her own cello while in residence um and th- there's great photo and video documentation of her out like you know sawing things and um wow. she's just such a delight so yeah I encourage listeners to to go to wavefarm.org and search Amanda Don Christie and and check out yeah. what she did when she was here and totally. check out episode 190 where we we um that was another one that was a, a massive edit because I think we had like 80 minutes or so of of interview content without without good planning. So we went we went from beginning, middle to end, uh, all in all at once. And then I had to figure out what half an hour to to leave off for the podcast audience and which which hour to give to the radio audience. Yeah, it it's fun. always difficult choices for you, I'm sure. <laughs> Got to make them. Well, Gail and Joseph Hunter, we should probably let you continue with your day. Thank you. Thanks so much for for being on the show and the podcast and and for being strong supporters of Radio Survivor, too. Absolutely. Super show. Yeah. Thank you, guys. You're making such this an important This was a real mark. pleasure. This was really fun. All right. I'll talk to you tape soon. Tape loops, tape loops, tape loops. That's all I care about today. It's so funny <laughs> that you would bring up tape loops. There's, a, um, a, there's an artist called Amulets that I just found out is probably my neighbor. And uh, he has a he has a YouTube tutorial about how to open up a cassette and make a tape loop out of it, which is permission that I had been waiting for my whole life to start making my own tape loops, and, which uh, you know has, has always been a plan of mine since I figured out that that was even possible. Excellent. Um, but have I'll never have done up. it. So tape loops for days coming up on Radio Survivor. The next episode of Radio Survivor that I make during... Uh, my vacation hiatus is just going to be um, yep tape loops tape, tape loops of Paul Reismandel explaining tape loops or something. <laughs> oh my like god, that. <laughs> that would be great. 